So we start in verse 1, and Elijah the Tishbite shows up out of nowhere. First time he's mentioned here in the scriptures. That's all we know about him uh, so far. He's Elijah the Tishbite. Of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so, again, Elijah shows up seemingly out of nowhere. And, and um, we're going to see later, I just want to mention it now before I forget, over and over again, the way that God instructs Elijah, Elijah to deal with uh, this quote-unquote God Baal and the prophets of Baal is so, I want to say this carefully, it's so funny uh, it's, it's like everything is just throwing what they believe and think to be true in their face, right? And so Baal, uh, the, the um, uh, nations of, of this area at the time and, and the peoples there throughout history, he was worshipped as the god of the weather, as the god of rain, as the god of lightning, as the god of fertility and harvest. And so you're worshipping this god that you claim is the god of weather he, it is not going to be able to make it rain. Yahweh is going to say the rain is stopping. And you see already, right, first thing, right, it's not going to rain even though you claim that this God has power over the weather. Over and over again, we're going to see this, and I'll try to point it out where I can. And the next thing we're going to see here as we get to the brook Cherith is just Elijah's total dependence on God, absolute dependence on God. Elijah could do nothing for himself. Elijah could not earn his keep or I mean he just he had to totally depend on God and obey God every step of the way and totally depend on him I mean even for his daily food and so we're going to see that and one more thing as we get into it here uh, to be reminded the New Testament you know we're going to read about Elijah and again there's so much I mean the life of Elijah is spectacular and and even his anointing of Elisha and and again, I think I have it here later in the notes. I do have it here. I mean, think of Elijah. Elijah. I'm going to keep messing that up. Forgive me. Elijah. Elijah. He, you know, he does these incredible things. Hopefully we get to uh, Mount Carmel and, and he calls down fire from heaven. And then later on, uh, we're not going to get here uh, tonight, but he, he gets taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. And then we see Elijah again on the mountain of transfiguration with Moses and Jesus. And it's very possible that Elijah is one of the two witnesses in Revelation that come back from heaven. I mean, incredible, incredible. Elijah's like a superhero. Except in James chapter 5, it says this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again that the heaven would give rain and the earth produce its fruit. I mean, I, it's incredible. And what do you do with it? I don't know, because God has not done the things in my life that I see in Elijah, but I know that what the Bible says is true. And so God can do these things. And again, I don't think that God means for us to look for, you know, we're going to be the next one to call fire from heaven and we're going to be the next one to do this. But I think that what the Bible is telling us here in the totality of Scripture and in the context of all these Scriptures is that God wants us and, and intends for us and provides for us the kind of life that Elijah had of dependence on God, of seeing God work in the 
small things and in the big things, in the natural and in the supernatural. We're going to read later on. I hope we get there. It's in chapter 17 where God meets a woman in the kitchen, right? And he provides for her. And, and it's, this is all through the life of Elijah. And I think that's what God means when he tells us in James that Elijah was a, like, a man like us, with like passions like us. He was simply a man that depended on God at every turn of his life. And again, other chapters that we're not going to get to, but if you look at uh, chapter 19, I mean, just, just the, the downward, the, the depression, you can say, the, 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 the slump that Elijah falls in, he's just like us. But looking at some details here, you know, he, it's, it's a funny scene, and this happens a couple times. Elijah says, there, there's not going to be any more rain at my word. And then he, run, he runs away, right? Imagine you tell the ruler of this nation. It's not going to rain. You're going to endure drought. All your people are going to suffer. You're not going to stick around to see what he says, right? So he runs away. God instructs him, runs to, God tells him to run, run to the brook uh, um, uh, Cherith, and it flows into the Jordan. And he says, uh, you're, um, you're going to drink from the brook, and I'm going to command the, the ravens to feed you there. And again, this was difficult for Elijah. Elijah's kind of growing in his faith. Uh, ravens would be considered Levitically unclean. Jews were not supposed to eat these birds. So it's kind of a gray area, right? Can I eat food from the birds that they brought, right? It's kind of a gray area. But it probably would have been something he was uncomfortable with at first, at the very least, if not totally against. And so God is stretching him here. And the ravens bring him food. Verse 5, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And you know what? I love this. Um, you know, they gave him, they brought him uh, bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening. And you just look at the grace of God, the kindness, the mercy of God. He didn't have to bring him bread and meat, right? There's plenty of biblical stories and plenty of, you know, science. You could live on bread and water, right? It's fine. He brought him bread and meat and provided him fresh spring water. I mean, isn't that just merciful and kind of our God for, for Elijah? Twice a day he ate. And... Um, and then the other thing that really ministers to me, Elijah wasn't exempt from what was going on around him. You know, when the drought got so bad that the brook dried up, Elijah's water dried up, right? He didn't have a, in this case, he didn't have a supernatural bowl of water. The brook dried up, and so Elijah's source of water dried up. And, and he was sort of connected to what was happening, right? And I think that's so important, whether it's us as Christians or if you serve in ministry or whatever capacity that you're in as a believer, that, that we understand that we're not disconnected from what's happening around us, right? We're not supposed to be, at least. And, and if we are, that's something to look at, right? Am I sort of preaching at these people over here and condemning these people over here and I'm over here and, and everything's good? And, you know, I, I heard a terrible story once about a church a long time ago. That it's, the church isn't even relevant anymore. Um, this is 20 plus years ago. They were doing this um, documentary, whatever, some filming thing. It wasn't documentary. Stories all over the place. They were filming something. They were, they were on site. Uh, they get to like this resort hotel. It's the, the filming crew and the pastor and the pastor's family. 
And uh, there is this spectacular hotel. Oh, water slides, the works, whatever. Oh, this is amazing. And they're all going to get down. And the pastor's like, oh, no, no, you guys aren't staying here. You guys are staying in another hotel. So just the pastor and his family get off. And they get off at the hotel. And then they get dropped, they get dropped off at like a roach motel in the city. And it, it was just a terrible story. And so if, if there's anything like that, right, if, if, again, whether it's in ministry or whether it's just you personally and, and, and there's that lack of connection and you're kind of up in your ivory tower, that's not God's intention for us as, as not just pastors or elders or deacons, but as Christians, right? What did Jesus do? He washed feet and he served and he got down there with us. And, and again, we can, we can go on and on about that, about the, the ministry and the character of Jesus and how it's reflected here. I just love that point in the narrative. And so we continue in verse 8. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath. And, and you know, we, we can speculate, but it doesn't say. I mean, it's, it's clear that, that what God does not say, right, is that, and Elijah freaked out, and Elijah started crying, and Elijah begged God, and Elijah was worried. No, it just says, and then God told him the next thing to do. And again, I told you one of these themes that we would... Uh, touch upon here is Elijah's total dependence on God. And, um, well, let me just go ahead, and I I had this here for you. Some other things we're going to see tonight, we're going to see Elijah's total dependence on God. We're going to see that God doesn't always answer prayer the first time. We're going to see the storms and trials that come into believers' lives. We're going to see how God prepares us for his plans, and we're also going to see the theme of repentance. So those are just some of the main points that we're going to see tonight. But we continue here in verse 7. Zarephath, uh, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. And he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks and he called to her and said please bring me a little water in a cup that i may drink and as she was going to get it he called to her and said please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand so so we'll stop there and um <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> you know it's interesting uh, none of these so so often never I guess never, right? Because God's word is holy and every, every word. Uh, but, but the names in scripture and the, the, even the place names are incredible. Zarephath, it means crucible, right? A place where you smelt metal and burn off the dross, right? And you think like, oh, what's going to happen here? You know, why would God take me to a town called Crucible, right? Well, it's because he's going to burn off the dross, bro. He's going to light some fire there and he's going to refine you. And so, you know, you imagine, uh, I was listening to Pastor Joe teach on this and he said, oh, you could have taken me to Bethlehem or Beth this or House of Grace or whatever. You know, why do you take me to Zarephath? And not only that, it was a Gentile area. And Jesus actually addresses this. Amazing. In Luke chapter 4, verse 24 to 26, listen, Jesus comments on this. Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And so just an amazing, amazing thing that God does here. And again, God's heart for the nations, you know, it's, it's so sad 
when people, and even more sad when believers, sort of separate the Old Testament and New Testament and if it's, as if it's two different gods or God was mad until Malachi and then he got nice in Matthew. Like this is the God of grace and mercy throughout. This is the God of all nations, the God of all people, the God of no respecter of persons. I mean, we have another example of it even here. And again, Elijah's total dependence on God. First he had to eat whatever the ravens brought for him, and now he has to eat whatever the widow would offer him. And, um, and that's how we get to here. And, and another, again, just walking in, in Elijah's sandals here, he does a lot of walking and, and running at one point. Um, it's 75 miles from the Brook, Cher- Brook Cherith to Zarephath. So again, just, just this arduous journey that God has Elijah on as he's preparing him for uh, what God has for him. So he says, uh, can you get me some water? And then, you know, kind of the audacity in a sense, but, but it was it, it sort of um, commonplace in this time and culture. Oh, and, and please bring me some, some bread as well. So she said, verse 12, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple sticks so that I might go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And I mean, there's just so much to unpack there. What is, what is Elijah thinking, right? You know, the, the birds brought food and... You know, they kind of came probably around the same time every morning and evening, and, and now God said, go, and a widow's going to provide for you, and, and she says, I don't have anything to give you, and, and, and I, I imagine Elisha, he's probably a compassionate guy, he's probably a loving guy, and I mean, just, what do you do with that? But 13, Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the, shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. I want to go back. I, I missed something here. It's interesting. She knew that he was a Jew, that he was a Hebrew. She said, as the Lord your God lives. So for whatever reason, maybe Elijah... Maybe his name got around at this point. Hey, there's this, we later read a description that he was a very hairy guy. He was very kind of, he stood out in a crowd kind of guy. Maybe word got around, hey, there's this crazy hairy prophet guy. And he told Ahab there's going to be no rain. And Ahab's looking to kill him. And oh, man, this is a crazy. Maybe the story got around. I don't know. Maybe there was some sort of recognition of the culture there. I don't know. But she knew that he was a Hebrew. And, uh, and so she says, as the Lord your God lives, kind of like, you know, an unbeliever, you know, I swear, you know, they don't know what they're swearing on, but they kind of invoke God's name almost. And, and again, Elijah, I'm, I'm like, you know, for Elijah to say this, make me a small cake from it first. And again, if you look at this with the totally wrong eyes, the totally wrong angle, it's like, man, what's Elijah's problem, you know? But Elijah wanted to see her faith grow. Elijah wanted to see her trust in the Lord become real. Elijah wanted to see her look to God. Elijah wanted to see her, he, he wanted her to see what God was going to do. And Elijah is really looking, you know, you think of um, 
uh, Jesus, and, and he's speaking to a Gentile woman, and, 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 uh, and he says, I came to the, to the house of Israel, to the Jews first. I can't remember the scripture now, but she says, I remember she says, uh, even the dogs eat the morsels from the table, you know? And, and you know, the, the scripture, he says, oh, I haven't seen such great faith, you know? He calls out her faith, and you would think he should have said, oh, no, don't call yourself that, no, the cerebral. No, he says, you know what? You get it. Your humility, your love. And so it's the same thing here. Elijah's calling out her faith. He's calling her out to take a step of faith. He says, make me a cake first and then bring it to me and then you will have enough. And he tells her what God is promising. So 15, verse 15. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she, excuse me, and she and he and her household ate for many days. And the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. And again, you know, I I mentioned it already, how God met this woman in her kitchen. You know, every morning, every day, she would go to bake bread, and there would be uh, uh, oil and flour there. You know, and and again, Pastor Joel just did such a wonderful job in this. He said, you know, imagine her child. We're going to see later that um, she holds her child in her bosom and Elijah picks him up from her bosom. So he must have been a smaller child. I don't know, maybe three, four years old tops. And you imagine a toddler, right, with their curiosity, with their joy, with their innocence. Maybe that kid ran every morning. Oh, look, mom, you know, it's still in there. Look, look, you know, or or reaching in and grabbing. Who knows, right? And... um, and so every day, every day he's meeting her there. And, and, and I, you know, I think, that, I think that it's not too much to say that often God meets us in our homes and in our kitchens, and we just try to kind of get used to it. You know, in the United States, most of us here, we have enough money to afford groceries, and we have enough to afford the homes we live in to rent or buy or whatever it is. And I think we take it for granted, you know, I don't know if any of you have succumbed to this. I know I have. I'll be the first to say the, the toilet paper shortages or the rice shortages or the this or that or, oh, if we don't stock up, we're not going to have food. You know, I've, I've been there. If I'm the only one, hey, that's okay. And, um, and you go and you realize, man, what a miracle that I don't have to wait, you know, three hours in line for gas or I don't have to go grocery store to grocery store to find rice or there's actually food on the shelves or I have enough money to afford this or that. It's a miracle. It really is and we should see it that way. You know, I love, I'm going to steal Pastor Raz's story. I love this story. It's my, one of my favorite Pastor Raz stories. It was when they were first starting the church and they were very, very short on money. And uh, they would pray for food and they would trust God for their groceries. And one day they came home and there was a bag of groceries on their porch in front of their front door. And you would think, okay, yeah, that's cool. Oh, yeah, I've heard that story a million times. But here's the part that it always gets me. The ice cream was still frozen in the grocery bags. Love that story. And, and, and again, was somebody like waiting, you know, by the door? Who knows? But the miraculous provision of God. And it's one of those things that I, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I've, I've not been there yet. You know, I've never been there yet where I'm praying for the, that day-to-day provision. But I think it's one of those things where you don't see it till you need it kind of thing. And God's going to prepare us for that day. God's going to prepare us for that season. Uh, But we would do good to appreciate where we're at now and recognize the miracles and the provision of what we have even now. Again, I think we take it for granted too often how, again, I love, again, how Pastor Joe put it, how 
Uh, this woman met Jehovah in her kitchen. Uh, but we continue there. And the other, I don't know if this is a theme, but the other thing you see with Elijah, it just kind of goes like this. Awesome. Oh, no. Awesome. This is terrible. Great. Terrible. So this is one of the downward slopes on this roller coaster. Verse 17. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious or so severe that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I done with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And, I, and every time I read this, how much guilt was this lady holding on to that that's the first thing out of her mouth? After all this miracle, it seems that he was staying with them, that he was living with them. Every day, every day seeing the jar of oil and flour, seeing the man that gave her this promise, her son. And this is the first thing out of her mouth. Oh, I know why you came. This is, this is what you were doing all along. This, this, this was all building up to this. You came to remind me of my sin. You came to give me hope, to give me a little more hope and tear it all down again. That's what you're here for. And mind you, it, the Bible points out that she's a widow. She's a widow. Her child can't, again, this is conjecture to a degree based on the, the fact that she holds the, the child in her bosom. She's carrying it in her arms. But her husband's probably not been dead three, four years tops. She's still grieving the loss of her husband. She's grieving the loss of her husband. She finally let go of her kid. God gives her hope again. She gets her kid back, and now her kid is dead. This is unimaginable. I've never held a dead child in my arms. I've been in the room with parents holding their dead child. I've been in the family's house after they got back from the hospital completing the process. But this is this is this is the worst. And so you, she, you, she has this situation. And again, Elijah, moment by moment, depending on God, he, he says, verse 19, he said to her, give me your son. And he took him out of her arms. This is what I keep alluding to. In the King James, it says, out of her bosom. And that's the Hebrew. It, it's the idea of her, her bosom, that she was carrying him in her arms to her chest. He carried him to the upper room where he was staying. He laid him on his own bed. And then he, Elijah, cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And again, the implication here is Elijah understands why Israel is suffering drought, why there's people starving. Ahab has turned Israel away from God. They're worshiping idols. You know, he understands that. But have you also brought tragedy on this widow and her son? And, and, and Elijah is just as much questioning this as she is. Verse 21, he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And again, before we, we all know the story, right? we, we get the privilege, we get the ease of reading verse 21 and 22 in the same breath, but he did this three times. Three times, again, 
just imagine being there. Imagine Elijah begging God the first time, God, please, and still the child is lifeless. God, please, and still the child is lifeless. I mean, I probably would have quit after the first time if I even would have tried uh, once. And, and he, and again, and again, and again, and, 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 you know, I, I, I feel bad for Christians that have this terrible theology of that you pray the first time and you get what you pray for and bam, bam, and all this nonsense because Elijah prayed three times. Um, there, there's so many times in Scripture, Elijah prayed three times um, um, here for the child. There was three demonstrations of God's power in Elijah's life before he heard that still small voice up on the mountain. He knelt down praying and waiting for rain seven times. Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. Paul talks about praying three times with regard to a thorn in his side. This is biblical prayer. Praying over and over again, knocking and continuing to knock. You know that Bible verse, ask and I shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. All of those are in, in a continual tense. It's a, it's a perfect present tense. Uh, um, keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking and it shall continue to be open to you. It's an ongoing thing. It's not that if you ask once, you're going to get it the first time. That's nowhere in the Bible. It's this continual seeking and knocking and asking and begging in humility. And, and it's, I mean, man, Elijah's faith, Elijah's prayer. And we do have the wonderful joy of reading verse 22. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived and you know, another thing that we can take for granted as we read through the Bible, this was the first time that this ever happened. This is the first recorded resurrection in all of Scripture. Elijah had no precedent for this, no uh, blueprint. This was the first one. Amazing, amazing what God did through Elijah. What does James say? A man with like passions like ours. And he trusted God, and he, he, he begged God, begged God, and God did it. Verse 23, And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into his house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And again, Elijah, I mean, his heart is humility. He didn't say, See, look what I did, or look at the power of God, or look at me, or even I told you so. He didn't say that. He said, Look, your son lives. Your son's alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. And you know, God knows what we need. God knows what we need to believe. And again, God will not be mocked. You know, it's not like you're gonna twist God's arm and you're gonna play God and finesse God. That's not what this is talking about. But God knows what we need, and God reaches down to us, and God draws us in. You know, you think of Gideon. God, could you please wet this fleece and make the ground dry? I really want to know that it's you, Lord. He does it, and then he says, Lord, please don't get upset with me, but could you please make the fleece wet and the ground dry or whatever the opposite of what I just said? He did the opposite, right? God, don't get upset, please. Can you please do this again and confirm this? And we see this over and over again in Scripture. And so... You know, God knew 
that this was going to be the point. Not the, again, it's like, Lord, forgive me when I've been this woman, right? Miraculous provision. Everyone around you starving. Nothing to eat, nothing to drink. There's the kitchens just every day. Miracle bread, miracle bread, miracle bread. But God, you know what? I'm not really sure if I believe this Elijah guy just yet. You know, but that's okay. God knew that when he raised her son from the dead, then she would believe. And God, God is so gracious with us. And she, she said that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Again, just think of, you know, think of how she first addressed Elisha, the, the Lord your God. But now she knows, I know that the word of Yahweh, the word that's in your mouth, that word is the truth. Amazing. We continue on to chapter 18. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. So it looks like this is three years of drought, three years that he's staying with this widow. What what must have that been like to see this boy grow up, huh? It's incredible. I mean, the things that... The things that just are in between verses in the Bible, I mean, just to ponder them and and think and rejoice, it's beautiful. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. The famine just continued on and on in the country surrounding. Ahab called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. His name actually means servant of Yahweh. Uh, Verse 4, so it was when Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And um, you, you read here, and again, we have to stop and realize everyone is starving. It's been at least three years with no food, no water, and this guy is worried about his horses, And it it just shows you just the selfishness and the arrogance. And this is not some like old Bible story problem. This is happening today. This happens today in India. Um, There was a report from the missions team of some of the just demonic and evil practices that are still going on in Africa. I won't steal their story, their testimony. I'm sure they'll want to share it with us, what God is doing, the the light and the grace and the kindness of God that he's showing there in the midst of these things. But this happens today. I mean, again, if you didn't know, it's, it's, it's often repeated how in India, there, I don't know the numbers, but there's a large amount of people starving, Indian people, and they won't kill cows to feed them because the cows are supposedly sacred. They can't eat cows even though they're starving because they're sacred somehow. And it's, it's, it's just an abomination. It's, it's terrible. And, and we see it here. This, is, this has been going on since forever. And so he wants to find grass and water for his livestock. He's only caring about himself. And so as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. And he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah, is here. 
And poor Obadiah, that's just his reaction. So he said, how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here and it shall come to pass. And as soon as I'm gone from you, that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I don't know. So when I go and tell Ahab, he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord that when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here, he's going to kill me. I imagine he went that fast, right? He's just he's like, come on, man. <laughs> Give me a break. And again, you, you, I, 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 don't, I don't take any credit from this guy. I don't give this guy a hard time. Every day he was risking his life by hiding these prophets. This guy's hardcore. I mean, this is not a like scaredy pants or whatever. He's just, kind of, he's just probably at his limit, right? Of like how much, you know, can I endure here? But this guy's risking his life every day feeding. Again, he's taking food from the king's house and giving it to these prophets to keep them alive in these two caves. And now Elisha goes and tells them. And, and you know what's amazing? You, you look back. And first God had him by this brook, right? Probably in the bushes somewhere or something. And then he has him at this widow's house. Our God is so wise. Would anybody thought to look for Elijah by, in the bushes by some brook or in some widow's house? Right? Ahab said he looked for him in every nation. He had those kings swear oaths to him that Elijah wasn't there. And Elijah, or God knows how to keep us safe. God knows how to protect his servants. God knows what he's doing. I mean, just amazing, amazing, the intricacy, the plans of God, right? That was one of the themes, how God is preparing us for his plans. So Elijah calms him down. He said, look, you know, I, I'm, Elijah's probably like, nah, you have a point there. I've, I've disappeared a couple times. And Elijah says, it's funny though, right? Because he's actually going to be taken away in a chariot later. And I, I thought that was funny. Then verse 15, Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts live before whom I stand, I will surely prevent my, present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Verse 17, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? I want to pause here. And Elijah responds correctly in verse 18. I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. And then you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have allowed the Baals, or have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all the Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. But verse 17, is that you, O troubler of Israel? Um, <clears throat> It, it caused me pause this time around because Ahab had a point. It was at Elijah's word that the drought came. It, would, it was at Elijah's word that he said was on behalf of the Lord that the people were suffering and starving. Now, again, Elijah's word was caused by, right, the idolatry. But he has a point. And we can have this reaction in our own personal lives. Maybe you've seen this somehow in your own life. The word uh, troubler means to disturb. The idea is to cause a, a commotion or to make things difficult. Uh, CSB version says the one ruining Israel. It's easier to skip your devos sometimes. 
It causes less commotion if you don't have to stop and discipline your child for the third time that day. Those blockers on your computer make it more difficult to get work done sometimes, but they're all for a greater purpose. Those things that are troubling you are part of God's working, are part of God's correcting, are part of God's chastisement, are part of God's growing and discipline. God even brings drought, hardship, disturbance, ruin into our life to get our attention. God told Elijah to cause the drought. And so, yes, Ahab was troubled. The nation was troubled. They were disturbed. There was a commotion. Everything was harder. And he's trying, God is trying to get the people's attention. And how long that drought goes is often up to us. Now, if you're the Elijah, if you told the kids no TV during the week, if you told your teenager they still can't have a phone, if you're holding your brother or sister in Christ accountable like they've asked you and they're getting frustrated, if you're having to have a tough conversation in church or in ministry, be encouraged. Don't be afraid. They're rejecting the Lord, not you, and remember why you're doing it. Remember that God is preparing you for something greater through this. Right? I mean, that, that's a tough word. If it was, I mean, Elijah's kind of, a, kind of a tough dude, and he's like, oh, yeah, I have, let's go then, right? Call all your prophets. But if he were to think about the widows and, 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 and the orphans and all the people that are suffering, that, that could have stung a little bit. Troubler of Israel. Ugh. Man, three years, no rain. God, how long, you know? And so if you're that Elijah, be encouraged. Be encouraged if God has has done that through you. So he calls them all out. And um, again, going back to just how God is just throwing this in their face, calling out their idolatry and just their wickedness. They believed that Baal lived on Mount Carmel. They thought that was his home. So Elijah says, hey, let's go to your God's house. Let's go to your home field, your turf, and let's have a showdown. Let's see who's the real God, right? Somebody calls you out on your home court. You can't say no. You're going to look like a punk, right? So he said, okay. So Ahab said, okay, we'll call the prophets. It it, it, it probably took them days to gather there, right? This wasn't mass transit and everybody got an email, right? They had to send messengers out and get all these 450 prophets there. It probably took them days and days to gather together, right? And so, again, we already mentioned how Baal was uh, considered a weather god, particularly with power over lightning and wind and rain. You know, once they build these altars, if you know the story, Baal could have easily struck the thing with lightning and set it on fire, right? If he's, if he's the god that they claim he is. And so, you know, he said, hey, you know, there's a phrase for this, right? It's kind of like giving them the advantage. Here's all the advantages, right? I'm throwing them all your way. And let's see who is the, the real God. Verse 20, so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Again, days and days to gather all these people. And Elijah, verse 21, came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. 
Then, therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. You know, there's a sense, if you read through it quickly, that Elijah, after this experience, Mount Carmel, and he has that kind of bottom of the mountain experience, and, and he ends up running, and he asks God to take his life. If you read through it quickly, it seems like it's this huge mountaintop and then this terrible valley, right? Who's ever kind of read it that way before? Right? Only me? Okay, a couple of you. Thank you. So Elijah's kind of not helping himself here, right? He just talked with the scared guy, Obadiah, about the two or about the 100 prophets that he's hiding in a cave. And still he asserts that he's the only prophet left in Israel. He's, he's kind of doing this to himself. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'm the only And he's trucking and trucking and doing ministry and doing these works for God. And I'm alone and I'm alone. Meanwhile, the guy just told him, the guy who is serving God and faithful to, I mean, at least there's this one guy, at least Obadiah, but Obadiah told him about a hundred other people. And then if you know the story, later he's going to learn there's 7,000 others. And so we can, we can often do that to ourselves. We can put blinders on. We can sort of trick ourselves or deceive ourselves or convince ourselves that we're the only one and nobody has it as hard as us and I'm being singled out and me, 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 and, I'm, and, we're, and, and again, it's, just, it's this, you're still doing amazing things for the Lord. You're being used of the Lord. It's not like God is saying, oh, well, you're, you're dumb. That's not true. I'm not using you anymore. No, God is doing incredible things, but you're, you're, you're only hurting yourself, you know, when you do that. I'm, only, I'm talking to myself. I'm only hurting myself when I do that. I've only hurt myself when I've done that because I've done that. You know, I'm, I'm only in me this, and, you know, I'm the only one. And, and, and it's not true. It's never true. You're never the only one. Even if you can think of the most unique situation, I mean, you know, I, just one out of a thousand things, I mean, a cancer diagnosis. How many of our family have dealt with that and gone through it and, and different circumstances and, and different uh, uh, particularities? And, and, I mean, there's just such a, um, a, um, a resource there of prayer and experience. And, and I mean, that's one of many um, different things that sometimes we can go through and feel like or think that you're the only one. Um, I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but pray for Mrs. Isel. She has treatment tomorrow. Pray for Mrs. Isel's treatment tomorrow. Um, so so he, he, he calls this, this challenge. And I, I want to point, point something else. That word falter, how long will you falter between two opinions? You know, again, you can, you, you can teach a whole sermon on this. You, you, can, you can expound on this for hours. But one thing I wanted to point out with this injunction, with this um, challenge that Elijah gives to the people, how long will you falter between two opinions? The, the Hebrew is limping. The word means limping. How long are you going to limp between two things? And that's really what we're doing, right? If you have one foot in the world, one foot with God, one foot in church, one foot out of church, you're limping. You're, you're not doing anything right, right? You're limping in the world, and then you're limping in church. You're, you're, you're limping, right? And our God is so merciful, right? A, a bruised reed he won't break, a smoking flax he won't quench. 
but you're still limping. You're still a bruised reed, right? And he wants to strengthen you, but you have to choose. You have to choose. It continues there. Verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves, prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull, which was given to them, and they prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered, and they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. There was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And this is just such a perfect picture of idolatry, false gods. Again, there are many idols, many false gods today, whether it's santeria or some religious false god or idol, whether it's alcohol or drugs or pornography or whatever it is, this thing will never answer and will never pay attention to you. You give it worship, you give it attention, you dance around, you spend all day, it will never answer, it will never pay attention to you. You're, you're, you're all alone you're, and, and, and there's no one coming if you're, if you're worshiping this God. And, and we read here about them cutting themselves and it, it, you don't hear about it so much anymore. It was a, a terrible trend uh, several years ago, young people cutting themselves, it still happens. Um, but we do this in other ways, right? You're worshiping at this altar. Let's say it's gambling. You're worshiping at this altar of gambling. Your, your finances are bleeding out. Your marriage is bleeding out. Your family is getting destroyed. You know you're hurting yourself. You're hurting your family. You're hurting your life. And still you worship at this altar. And on and on with different examples. You know, if you're a young person and you're dealing with sexual immorality, you're just hurting yourself and hurting yourself and hurting your family and hurting yourself and hurting yourself, and you keep going to this altar to hurt yourself. You're hurting yourself in front of this God that's never going to answer you. And we do this today, and it's terrible and it's sad. And so now, if that's you, now really pay attention. Check out the real God. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood then he said do it a second time and they did it a second time and he said do it a third time and they did it a third time so the water ran down all around the altar and he also filled the trench with water and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that elijah the prophet came near and said lord god of abraham isaac and israel let it be known this day that you are god in israel and that i am your servant that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust 
and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kaishan and executed them there. You know, it's, it's interesting. There's um, some really neat application we can make here and I want us to leave tonight thinking about uh, by this time, it was well established that the altar of the Lord was in Jerusalem. And so there's kind of, if you really examine this, it's kind of like, mm, this, uh, I don't know what to think about this. There's a, uh, he's doing a second altar. But this is obviously sanctioned by God. He honored the sacrifice. But there's something wonderful here. This was a, a, an ancient historic altar that was restored. This was an altar that had been forsaken, neglected, abandoned. And Elijah wanted to restore it to its proper use. And he did, and God honored it. And the other thing here is that many of these people, these Israelites, had never seen an altar. They'd never been to Jerusalem. They'd never seen a sacrifice. And so by Elijah doing this, he was giving all of Israel, all the Israelites that were gathered there, this, this picture you know, of, 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 of the Lord they'd never seen before, that God wanted them all to see that they had never seen before. You know, and one thing to think about, you know, is there an area of your life, especially your spiritual life, that has been left to neglect, that has been left to ruin, an altar that's just been left and not used and it's crumbled down? Is there an area of your life like that that needs to be built back up and restored? so that it can be a place of worship again, a place of offering. And then you look at this altar as a picture of what God does in our lives. And I believe it was a picture of Israel at, time, uh, at the time as well. We turn to other gods. We suffer drought. After we suffered enough, we bring to God what we have, our life. A broken of pieces of rocks and rubble, waste and garbage. We make it even harder for him. We dig ditches. We pour water all over it. But then we cry out to God. Or someone else is praying for us. And God sends fire from heaven. And he consumes us completely. I mean, this is so in line with the rest of Scripture. Our God is a jealous God, a consuming fire. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 12. I'm so sorry for the slides, folks. Deuteronomy 4, 24. Deuteronomy 9, verse 3. Hebrews 12, 29. You know, uh, Pastor Joe said this, this incredible line and just he was really dwelling on this altar a lot. I mean, it bears so much significance to, to our lives, um, to the um, uh, sort of... Um, image it's really a prophetic image of jesus as well the sacrifice that was totally consumed the the place of worship restored i mean it's this this is a beautiful picture that god brings up over and over again in scripture but he said this and it again it's just so meaningful he said our destination is not just a place it's an image Right? Our destinations as, as believers it's not just the place it's an image and so all that we've seen tonight um um the, the, the 
refining that Elijah had to go through with the ravens and with the widow and, and here at Mount Carmel and, and even the image of this altar and the picture that it paints of our lives, it's, it's all refining us into the image of Jesus. That's God's intention for us. It's to look more and more like Jesus. And the worship team can definitely come forward. Uh, but, you know, maybe you're listening and you think, you know what, I, I hope you're praying and being thoughtful. You know, is there any area of my life that's been neglected and, and gone to rubble? Um, have I not offered everything I have to the Lord to just that the fire of God would come down upon it completely, right? Maybe you have a newfound gratitude. I, I know that picture blessed me when I, when I saw it there in the scripture and just, Lord, I, I, I just brought to you my, my garbage and made it even harder for you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you when I've done that as a Christian for still taking me, you know? Maybe it's just giving you newfound gratitude. If, if you've gone through all that and you thought, you know what, the Lord, man, I'm tracking with the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'll, I'll leave you with this. Before the rain comes, the fire must fall. And we're going to see later, right? Finally, the drought ends. Shortly after this, um, Elijah's going to call it to rain down again, but he couldn't call the rain back until the fire fell, until there was repentance. And so maybe you sought the Lord in your own life, and maybe you're, you're right with the Lord. The Lord is convicting you. Though, you, know, you know what I mean. You're tracking with the Lord by God's grace, right? Well, then pray, pray for everyone else. Pray, pray for us uh, corporately. Pray for the church. Pray for the community. If we want to see the rain come down, that revival, that blessing pour out of God, the fire has to fall first. There has to be a cleansing, a repentance. And so, like I said, if, if you enjoyed chapter 17 and 18, it just gets better and better. I mean, literally, Elisha asked for a double portion, and he gets it. I mean, everything's times two. And then just looking at uh, even Elisha and the continuing of the, the ministry and Jesus and the Mount of Transfiguration, all of it. So I, I hope that it's just inspired you to, to read more of God's word. And, and again, that we would uh, just give ourselves completely to God uh, like that altar and um, learn so much from Elijah. God, thank you so much for tonight and for your word and uh, for Elijah, again, as James says, uh, a man with like passions like ours. Uh, thank you, God. Thank you for that truth uh, that you want to work in our lives and through our lives in great and wonderful ways. Um, God, if it wasn't for your word, nobody would have known about his time with the widow. And uh, God, if it wasn't for your word, nobody would have known about that wonderful experience he had by the brook. It was alone with you. And the widow was just one woman and her son. And God, nobody knew what Elijah had to go through before that day on Mount Carmel. Nobody knew the price that he paid and, and what he had endured. And so, God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that we would allow you to prepare us for what you have ahead of us. Uh, allow you to grow our faith, Lord, uh, that we might be used of you. And uh, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.